Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When I was a little kid, my dad was a cop. You see, my dad was a cop in the 80s in Sydney, which is generally regarded as the wild west of law enforcement. A terrifying time to be a cop or a criminal or just to be in Sydney full stop. And I one day stumbled upon his case files and they absolutely ruined me. So years later, I approached dad and we went through his old case files together and it became a book, Loose Units. It's in stores right now actually. And now we're doing a podcast about it. Loose Units, the podcast, is a weekly true crime podcast where I sit across from my dad, an ex-cop from the 80s, and we dive deep into the seedy underbelly of Sydney's policing. So we're doing this podcast down here in Collingwood every week at Castaway Studios together, and we hope you enjoy it. Okay, so listeners will probably notice that the sound is a little bit better this week. Yes, because I've flown to Melbourne, and might I say, Paul... Yeah. I missed my plane last night. Yeah, so if anyone wants a bit of an inside look at how an ex-policeman deals with the stress of missing a flight... It was bad. Yeah, you kind of, you fell to pieces a little bit. Yep. And the sad thing is, for listeners that may get their jollies about my particular predicament last night, is that I'd booked well in advance to come down for this whole day of recording. Yeah, we record, yeah. yeah. And uh, I'd booked seat 1A, which was exciting. I was sitting 20 metres, but I was sitting in the Tiger Airline chairs as opposed to the Jetstar chairs. Right. They didn't call my name out. I actually ran to the glass like in a really bad movie and stood there looking at the captain who was about 20 feet away from me. Mm-hmm. And I was actually going to signal him and ask, could he please let me on the plane? Now, did you think at any point that, that would work? Look... They don't typically take requests. Is what no, I'm but I was torn between absolute desperation and, look, I was beside myself. Aside from the monetary loss, I was watching my plane depart and I then had to run over to Qantas yeah. and buy a ticket on the spot and it was really expensive. Did you at any point consider asking the um, the person at the desk whether they... I couldn't find anyone. They're all, they're all on the plane. What do you mean? Because everyone that's on the desk then jumps on the plane and pisses off. Well, no, because then there's no one at the airport. Correct. There was pretty well no one there. Okay. If there'd been a Final Destination-style situation where the plane had taken off and then exploded and you realised that you'd somehow dodged a bullet I'd, there... I'd be happy. Not for the people that died, okay. but happy that I wasn't on that article plane. Do you want to pivot... Pretty radically. Um, this morning, as we were heading into the studio, um, Dad told me 
to prompt him on this episode. And uh, you gave me two words, which frankly filled me with dread. Abe Saffron. Yes, well, funny you should mention Abe Saffron because Christine and I, yeah. who are living in Potts Point, sure, they've got all these hey, amazing... Hey, just, just, just parenthetically, I, I mean, I don't know if it's a terrific idea uh, in a podcast where we say contentious stuff about, about the police that you should be triangulating your... Good point. <laughs> your location. Well, you're right. You're, you're, yeah, good point. Okay, so not Potts Point. Maybe not. Yeah, I could go back and edit that out, but I no, think no, it's... that's cool. All right, great. But the thing is, in that area of King's Cross, people can go up there now, and they've got these beautiful brass plaques yeah. embedded into the, the footpaths of iconic people from the uh, from that era. Yeah. Uh, Carlotta, who was a, a transsexual drag queen, I believe. She was, yeah. You, you can... What... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just... <laughs> God. Anyway, look, there are people like fa- luminaries from that period. Sure. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> I'll just cut that. Bit. Anyway, no, no, it's cool. Oh. But um, anyway, Abe Saffron or Abraham Saffron. Is it Saffron or Saffron? Mm. Saffron's very expensive. True. You know, he was he was he basically ran the cross. Now, this particular story is it's a great yarn, and it's one of those stories. Again, when I look back on it, I actually have to think to myself. Did that really happen? And weirdly enough, it happened in the early 1980s when I was working with an amazing guy that shall remain nameless, but he was a, a country cop. Mm-hmm. Hard as nails. Those seem to be coming up a lot. <clears throat> Did they often pair you with country police officers? Look, I'd say that... Was there, some, was there some sort of like moral deficiency that they made up for by putting a police they were like, John's a bit soft. We need to chuck him with someone who eats well, tractors I, I, for breakfast. Look, I, I, I worked with some phenomenal police, and I reckon a good 30% of the police that I worked with yeah. were... Um, country cops. Were country police. Yeah, okay. And when I, when, you, when I say country cop, I mean, I'm talking about guys and girls that were born in the country yeah. and came to Sydney. Yeah. So they're not really a country cop, are they? Well, no. Because they're in the city. That's a fair point. Yeah. So they're actually city cops. Who lived in the country? Okay. Prior to coming to Sydney, this is great. Stuff. Some went back to the country. Sure. Some stayed in. But if Sydney. you go back, if, okay, if you're born in the country, go to the city, become a city cop, as you proclaim, yep, yep. and then they go back to the country. Then they they revert to being a country cop. No, because they were a cop in the city, mm-hmm. and that's their that's their first. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Paul McCartney's always a beetle. He doesn't stop being a beetle when he becomes when he goes back to playing in the wings, does he? Yeah, he does, mate. Sorry. Isn't this a police podcast? Yep. Abe Saffron, right. Country Cop. Cool. All right, back on so, it. So, um, to set the scene, I'd love to tell you the guy's name. He was just, he was a, he was sort of amazing guy. He was, he was ripped, no body fat. He was, and he was a hard man. Yeah. And he was a no nonsense guy. And he was the best rank of the day, which was senior constable. Senior constables were the the people that they were the guys and girls that had get out there and and you felt safe and secure sure so picture this sydney long weekend yep super quiet we're in the station the sergeant comes up to us and says we've had a call from a young girl at an apartment in cremorne and Mm. cremorne as the listeners know is a fairly salubrious suburb in sydney yes on the lower north shore so we, and there was no sense of urgency with this particular job, and we cruised to this apartment, and we go upstairs, 
we meet this young girl. She was eight years old. Uh huh. And she a bit young to have an apartment of her own. Yeah, yeah, but she was paying it off. Okay. Um, and she was living with her dad. Yeah. Her father owed money to whoever. But the thing is, in those days, if you owed money, mm. and it was $18,000, which back then was a fair whack. Yeah. Let's call it in today's money, 100000 Okay, just just quickly, um, what do you remember what year this was? Yep, it was 1980, 82, 83. 82, 83, okay. So, all right, so around the time I was born. Yep, this, yep. Okay. you would have been maybe two. Yeah, okay. You know I'm born in 83, right? Oh, okay. Well, you were minus one. You didn't know when I was born. Mm, apologies. Son of a bitch. Yep. Listen, um, so this um, this country cop, this senior officer that you're with, uh, would it be too much to ask for a description or would that give away the game a little bit? Um, Just so <clears> listeners <throat> can kind of picture in their minds what, what, what kind of a cop you were with. You see he was, I mean, the zero body fat thing. Super fit. Okay, great. Um, he had, look, he was wiry, lean, sort of athletic, um... He was a rugged, rugged-looking guy. Sure. And uh, hair color, eye color, any, uh, any visible scars, eye patch, anything you know? No eye patch. Um, oh, all right. Look, I'd love to give you his name. Perhaps at the end of the story, I'll give you a little anecdote about him and sure. and and the listeners that uh, did work at that point in time will will know who I talk, who, I'm, who I'm talking about. And we have had a few. Um, we've had been uh, reached out to by a few people that you used to work with. Yeah, correct. Uh, who have said so? You talked about a sp- and this is about the book and the podcast. They've gone okay. So you talked about this nefarious person. Yeah, yep. You wouldn't believe some of the stories I have about that person. Yep, so amazing. That's, that's been an interesting aspect. Fascinating. Of things. Okay, so you're in Cremorne, uh, and the little girl has called. Wait, hang on. Did she call the cops? Yeah, yeah. She called Triple O. Jesus. Yeah. But this story that I'm about to tell you, Paul, that I've never told you, and I've never told anyone before, uh, it's one of those stories where, as I said before, you look back and go, holy fuck, did this actually happen? Because it's very surreal. Okay. So you've got a a picture of the time. Yeah. You know, it's it's not frontier policing, but it's pretty, you know, look, in the police force back then, we were... We were a force to be reckoned with, yeah. and you know what we said went, and and we had we had respect, and some might say, you know, a bit of there was a bit of fear. Mm. Uh, you know, when you saw a police car, you'd you'd you know you'd shit your pants. Generally. I still I still get that impulse, and I've not yeah. I've done nothing wrong. No, 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 no. That that's a natural thing. If if I'm being followed by uh, you know a police car, not so much general duties, but highway patrol. Yeah. Uh, you know, you you really sort of become slightly paranoid. Yeah. That's, I think that's normal. I was once um, done for underage drinking when I was about, I would say, 15. And I was with a mate of mine, Anthony Stenmark, and we were up uh, in North Manly. And we were carrying cases of beer to a party. And I'm like, I, I think I'm pretty respectable looking. And these two cops pulled us over. And Anthony got the big bloke. And I got this little lady. And he got let off with a warning. And she just like went berserk mm. at me. Yep. And it's not that I, like, of course I was in the wrong. But ever since then, anytime I see a police car get close to me, I just mm. instinctively flinch. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So anyway, let's rub a band okay, back. Sorry. No, yeah. no, that was no. my fault. No, no, it's good. Okay. Um, but look, the situation is that. This particular guy, this young girl's dad, he owed the money and mm. they wanted their money. 18,000. 18 grand. So what they did, a couple of guys that I'll reveal who they are fairly soon. Okay. 
they came around to this apartment. God knows how they got in. Mm. But what they did in front of this guy's daughter Mm -hmm. is uh, they obviously asked for the money, didn't get it. They then brought out two chairs and they sat him in one chair. They then put his leg outstretched between the second chair and then they, one of the guys that had come along for the ride had a sledgehammer, which is a bloody big hammer. And they brought the hammer down on his femur, which is the big bit bone between your, your pelvis and your knee. Yep. And they smashed his femur with one thump, downward blow of this massive hammer. The, the bone, it was a compound fracture. It pierced his pants. And he was basically rat shit, as you can imagine. The pain factor would be indescribable. Most human beings would pass out. Yeah. The blood loss, if it if it severs your, I think it's the femoral artery, you've got about 18 seconds before you're dead. And all this was done in full view of the eight-year-old daughter. And these guys, two guys, uh, they then left the building. Yeah. And they hopped in a white Mercedes uh-huh. and the young girl now now for you listeners out there imagine an eight-year-old girl witnessing her father having his leg broken um, in the most horrendous way she then had the presence get ready for this to run out onto the balcony she looked down into the street yeah and she wrote or caught the registration number of this white Mercedes and I'll never ever ever forget what she said uh, I said to her, look, did, you know, what information have you got? And she said, well, the, the number plate started with LM. Mm-hmm. Now, LM, as it turns out, was a Mercedes owned by a very notorious man that worked for Abe Saffron, and his name was Lenny McPherson. And he was a thug and a gangster and a pretty heavy dude. And he was paid muscle. And, uh, you know, you can Google his name, I'm sure, and do your own research, but... We're talking bad, bad people. I mean, it takes a specific kind of henchman to have a personalised number plate that he drives to the crime scene mm. where he hobbles somebody Kathy Bates style. Yeah. So the eight-year-old girl heads out onto the uh, balcony, grabs the... Was it the whole licence plate or just the LM part? Look, it was um, LM, and then she was not quite sure about the three letters, but what we knew, it was a black and white personalised number plate, which yeah. we had back in Sydney. Yeah. LM being the first, the guy's Christian and surname. Mm-hmm. And then with numbers that he may or may not have chosen. Okay. Uh, we knew it was a white Mercedes, but we had enough information. So she also had a really weird description of this guy that was the driver. And anyway, so here's the story. Yeah. We, being General Judy's police, this was obviously a matter way out of our league. But mm. my good, good cohort, yeah. uh, he said, it's a public holiday. Let's run with this. Hang on, was it a public holiday? Yeah, it was a three-day long weekend. Okay. So there were not a lot of detectives around. The squads in the city apparently had basically shut down. Yeah. And, uh, oh God, I just almost said his name. He and I, we uh, we just said, look, you know, he, I was, he could see I was really, really sort of wide-eyed and super excited. Well, that's one of the things that um, people have been noticing about the book is that you, you had that trait that frustrated me in fellow students at school, which is you showed initiative, like you actively pursued, you know what I mean? You weren't like the, like a river following the path of least resistance. Your whole thing of being an officer was, I want to be working. Always. Yeah. I, I was very driven. I was keen. Uh, you know, 
police officers when I became the senior man that really wanted to get out there and have a really, really good time and go hard, yeah, it was always pretty good to work with me because they knew we'd get out amongst it. And I always was drawn to police that were, you know, fair income. And, and I was thinking I was lying in bed this morning on this shitty blow-up mattress hey, hey, hey. that you've given me. Hey, hey, hey. It's not all the floorboards, all <laughs> well, right? Well, I'll tell you what. I had a shit night's sleep. <laughs> Uh, but that aside, uh, so I'm lying on this sort of, this blow up can something or other. Hey, if, if the room flooded, you would be very grateful. True. But, yeah, true. But, um, and I was thinking to myself, the difference between firemen, policemen, yeah. and ambos, ambos yeah. or paramedics mm. is that you're in a reactive organization being in the fireys or the ambos. Uh, by which you mean you something wait, bad happens waiting, yeah, and you're you waiting respond. for a job. Yeah. But in the police force, when you go out there, mm. you, you hit the street, and this is true for any police force in the world, sure. is that you just you can be in Reykjavik, yeah. you can be in Somalia, maybe Somalia, not a great example, mm. but because you'd have your police station be, be bombed. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you just go out and generate work. How do you generate work? You're driving around, you see a car load of hoodlums. I don't know whether people say hoodlums anymore. I don't think anyone's ever said hoodlums. This isn't Bugsy Malone. True. <laughs> but um, fair point. Uh, scumbags? Uh, yeah, that's kind of gone in the other direction yeah, there. But true, true. Yeah. Um, so, and you just go out and you just, it, it'd happen. Aside from the work that would come in naturally over the radio, mm. it was just, it was, it's proactive in terms of if you're fair income. If, you know? if you're an ambulance officer, you can't go around giving people preventative vitamin infusions. You can't. No, you know, you could, you could, if you're a bad driver, you could run into people right. and then treat them. Yeah, but that's sort of a... Oh, yeah, okay. You could drive into Sydney Harbour and then your, your offsider would drown then you could revive him. Right, just do that over and over. It's like the good, the bad and the ugly. You know, where they, uh, they hand each other in for the ransoms Love and it. then shoot the ropes out. Yep. Or like a fireman who starts fires and then puts them out. Well, actually, that's not so... Uh, Uncommon, really? Not not with professional firemen. Oh, no, I'm not going to go down this path. Do we need to? Because Dad was a fiery for years and years and years and years. Mm. And I, I guarantee you, there is a book and a podcast in that, but yeah. we won't do that. There are know. definitely pyromaniacs working within certain fire brigades. Oh, but, oh God! We'll I'm do that later. Gonna, All yeah. right. Uh, okay. So, um, cut back to eight-year-old yes. girl. She's remembered yep. the um. What was the what was the LM Lenny McPherson? Thank you very now, much. Now we didn't figure that out till a bit later. But okay. what happened was. We went into an organisation within the New South Wales Police Force called the BCI. That's the Bureau of Criminal Intelligence. Mm. Now, you know, p- p- policing back then, again, remember we used to use typewriters with uh, carbon paper? Mm. And there was this form and it was in five copies. And it was sort of a, like a, uh, how would I describe it? It was like a form that you would submit with intelligence. And you'd, if you, just anything seemingly insignificant, like you might see people hanging out at public toilets at 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. Which we often did. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes you really have to go to the toilet. True, but yeah. Sure. That's a whole another story. Mm-hmm. But at this, for example, you'd see something, it was, it just didn't seem quite right. So you'd have a chat with the people and you'd, and they'd be a bit nervy and you'd say, look, you're not under arrest. We're just, we're just sort of chatting. Yeah. And what you do is you'd, you'd collect uh, intelligence. Mm. You'd go back to the station. You'd fill out this form. And then it would it'd go to various sections within the police force. Right. And one of them was the Bureau of Criminal Intelligence. I'll never forget at the police academy, we were told back in the day, if you saw young people 
say an 18 or 19 year old guy that just seemed like a pretty average sort of a guy, but he's driving, you know, a $500,000 Ferrari. Mm -hmm. It's in your interest to pull him over. Right. And have have a chat. chat And see, you know, whether his mum and dad did buy him that Ferrari, which is not uncommon. I guess context is also going to change this, right? So like if you saw someone, a young guy driving a Ferrari in Turak, that wouldn't ring as many bells. But if you saw them doing it, you know, in in like uh, Dandenong or whatever, yeah. you might. Although you've got to be careful going that down that path because you're, you're profiling. Of course. But of course. but let's be fair, Income. You know, when you arrest someone and you're in court and his defense counsel says why did you pull my client over? Yeah. Now, your brain is thinking, because he's a fucking shitbag. <laughs> a hoodlum. And you know what? <laughs> my hunch was right, because, you know, we searched his car, found guns, drugs, but you can't say that in court. Yeah. Because, well, there are laws. Of course. But everyone really knows, including the defendant's legal team, they yeah. know why you, did why you did it. Yeah but it's just not said. Sure. So, you know, you you collect incredible intelligence based on basic policing yeah. and putting together seemingly insignificant information because imagine that information, particularly with computers, because it used to be manually sorted, Sure. but imagine you find out that there was a serious crime that happened and you just happened to have pulled over this particular person. Right. So it all sort of comes together uh your sister was once at a party in north sydney and there was a horrendous murder and the police got every single person's mobile phone number Mm -hmm. that was within a certain radius that night and contacted every single person it was amazing police work that's how they they can work today using um telecommunications organizations to access to find out so so they ping towers and yeah find out and, they, and they found out who was within a certain um proximity to this terrible crime and she didn't do it did she no there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
But um, so it's really interesting. So we we had this information and it was fairly sketchy at the time, but we went into town and we decided to basically run this investigation ourselves. Now, what we kind of did that I felt was pretty scary but exciting mm. is that my colleague decided not to bring anyone else in on it. And we kind of went off on this gallivanting trip and we went into the city and we started hunting down all the intelligence we could find about the driver of this car and his associates. And we found out, we dug up a photograph of his driver. This is Lenny McPherson. He had a driver. Yeah. And he turned out to be a paranoid schizophrenic and under no circumstances were police ever, ever to approach him because he was a total grade A psychopath who would kill you at the snap of a finger sure. so this added to the excitement so my colleague and i began to think shit we're onto something we, we were looking at a big big case and i'll never forget we got the whole sort of brief together and we'd been working on it for maybe four or five hours what time oh, sorry what time did you get this call sunday morning sunday morning and okay, so what time is it now that you've cobbled everything together? It's uh, early afternoon. Or? We'd gone into the city, and we were kind of going into places within certain areas of the police force that normally you wouldn't be able to gain access to. But because it was a long weekend, what do you, what do you mean? You well, you know, into- you just you just don't walk into some of these places and just walk in and you know get information. Give me exa- can you give me some examples? Do you mean you walked into like? Well, the Bureau of Criminal Intelligence. Uh, we went to. Um, fingerprint bureau. Yeah, pulled out all the the criminal records. And these are places you couldn't normally go to. No, not normally. How did you They're... get in? Did you get on each other's shoulders and wear a trench coat with a fake moustache, like yep. uh, two kids getting into a movie? Yeah, great. And um, it was hard to get under the door because we were about eleven feet tall. Sure. Okay. Uh, but once we were in, and hang on, was... you're six feet. That would make this guy four feet. Yeah, true. Four foot tall country cop. Yeah. All Actually, right. Okay. But um. So we kind of, because it was a weekend and there were sort of people who were in sort of a fairly layback mode, we yeah. managed to kind of almost bluff our way in and look, it was just weird, but my, my colleague had so so many street smarts that he was able to carry off this, uh, this sort of investigation we were doing and we really got carried away. Mm. And fortunately, we had the blessing of, our, uh, of the station sergeant at North Sydney. Sure. And he was just a lovely guy who thought, wow, you know, just go for it. But I don't think anyone really realised. We may have held back a few of the facts to enable us to uh, to work. Sure. And we were lucky in that it was a quiet day. So being a quiet Sunday on a long weekend, we weren't inundated with, with shitty, you know, no person injured car accidents and all that sort of bullshit. So now at this point in the story... Yeah. Um, Things go a little bit dark. Great. Because the, the hammer through the femur wasn't dark enough already. No. Uh, so what happened was uh, we were sitting in a room mm-hmm. at North Sydney Police Station. Mm-hmm. And for listeners, that's the room where with the, the guys from the Oaks Hotel and the barstool incident where they burnt... His statement, remember yes, that? Yes, yes, uh, yes. So that's the same room there. So if you're, if you're watching a police procedural, is this the room where there's the two chairs, table, recorder, or yep. typewriter, and yep. then you've got the... Is there like a two-way mirror, or is that bullshit? No, 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 that's not... No, that's... Not yet, anyway. Yeah. No, no. Okay. No, this, is, this was down at the station. We had not involved any detectives. Sure. However, mm. in the New South Wales Police Force back then, it was a little bit hard to keep things under wraps for yep. too long. And... Same old story. We, my colleague was 
he was a really good typist. He was typing furiously and we were putting together a really, really good brief. And it, this was an opportunity to implicate one of Sydney's heaviest criminals. Mm-hmm. And I guess just in the back of your mind, you're thinking, you know, at some point, this is all going to go tits up. So Sunday, working away, flat strap, and my good colleague, I'm sitting opposite him and he's typing furiously and the door opens and two, not one, but two members of some goon squad, one of the squads, they obviously weren't called the goon squad. Sure. But it could have been... That that allocates a degree of whimsy, which I don't feel was present. No, none. But they, they would have been from... They were from one of the squads and these guys were fucking heavy yeah and they funnily enough were wearing ill-fitting suits which seemed to be yeah, why a characteristic is that a thing? don't know maybe they stole them off homeless people um no they wouldn't do that but um they've come in and one of the guys ready for this yeah he reaches over from behind <clears throat> my colleague and he just reefed the entire report out of the typewriter mid-typing and they just turned around and walked out and closed the door and that was the end of that we were told in no uncertain terms that to cease and desist and nothing was ever ever to be said about it so the entire incident that we witnessed never happened how's that so the guy with one functional leg isn't going to press charges, obviously. Nothing. The <clears throat> the daughter's scarred for life, presumably. Correct, yep. Um, Lenny McPherson is the guy... It was his car, he his was driving car. it. Okay. Yep. Uh, why was Abe Saffron a prompt for this story? Oh, well, the, well, Abe, well, Lenny McPherson worked for Abe Saffron. And Abe Saffron was... He, was a, he, he basically ran King's Cross. Right, and Abe, but like, what was his actual job? Was he a criminal? Was he a was like who? You'll I, have to you'll have to look into that. That's that's sort of okay. Well, he, well, I think well he owned I think he owned the bourbon and beef steak, which was right. the first place in Australia to have a twenty four hour liquor license. Okay, um, you know, and, and they ran all sorts of things. Look, it's it's common public information as to what um, as to what uh, if you Google Abe Saffron. Well, I mean, I'm t- I, I won't I won't do it now, but yeah, listeners can definitely do some do some yeah. research. Okay, so was there ever any fallout from this? Zero. Nothing. We're, nothing. No publicity. But what do you like? Okay, so it's the whole if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, doesn't make a sound thing, right? Like the fact is that a crime did occur. Correct. A, a very serious crime. Yeah. Um, have you ever, ever, ever had any interactions with? Did anything else from this ever crop up later in your career? Never. Did you ever have any? Shit. Did, did you okay? So what's the what's the conversation across the table like with you and this cohort of yours? Once the we never talk about it again. At all? No. Exchanged looks or anything like? Yeah, you know. But you know that he knew he'd been in the job long enough. I mean, I was just I'd only been in there a year or two. Can you imagine what I thought? Right. I was morally. I th- I thought this was. I just can't. I I remember for the next week going panning the newspapers and listening to the news and waiting and watching and knowing that at some point I'd hear something about this horrendous crime. It was a front page story. Was it? It was a national story. Was it? No, it wasn't. Oh, right. It should have been. Right, I see what you're saying. And nothing, that's just these people that came into the station that day 
and tore the report out of the typewriter. It's like something out of a fucking horror film. What's your what? what just cobbling it together because I'm sure listeners are asking these questions. Why do you think two, you know, uh, members of the police force would come in and interrupt? Because that someone at the station called them, right. or someone where we'd been nosing about in the city. Sure, some possibly a a public servant or, or some low-level bureaucrat or some police officer. Hmm. And, you know, these the tentacles ran deep. And who knows, um, someone thought, oh, these general duties police from North Sydney, they're, 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 you know, there may have been a, like a flag on one of these. Well, obviously, in fact, now I say it, it's pretty obvious yeah. that when you start pulling out these um, criminal history cards on notorious the most notorious criminals in at least sydney right you know some bell or trigger has to be has to be um activated yeah, and you know they 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 do a reverse uh investigation figure out that you know a police car's rocked up with a big six on its roof meaning north sydney yeah and the call's made well, you're not exactly incognito, I guess. We're not incognito. You're basically and and, bumbling around, and you know. Yeah, and we and, and I'll tell you, we, you know, from a from a, an experiential perspective, we were way out of our depth. But mm. I, I I found it really exciting. Okay. Uh, but but I was very disappointed and disillusioned, and and you can't go to anyone and go, oh, because you know what, you can't. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that was that was pretty hairy. And listen. Um, so we wanted to do something new this episode and uh, every episode from now on. We put a call out on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash loose units. If you haven't already headed across there, make sure you get across because we post all kinds of cool stuff. But uh, we put a call out for listeners to ask dad questions. So now uh, at the end of every episode, dad's going to answer one of your questions. So I thought I would start um, with a question from uh, Leah Heinrich. So I'll read this question okay. now and you can answer <clears throat> now it. Now I haven't heard the question. No, you're going in cold. Do you want to have a name for this segment? <clears throat> like John's Mailbag or something? That is ridiculously silly. It's just a... John's Mailbag. It's just, okay, Fuck. it's John's Mailbag. Love it. Okay, Leah Heinrich. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Not sure if you covered this in the book, haven't read it yet, but how very dare you. I'm kidding. But I'm interested to know how your dad might have changed his views about mental health care for frontline workers. I know it was dealt with a lot differently in the old days, but has he ever got professional help over the years to deal with all the things he's seen? Cheers, Leah. First wow. of all, uh, I wow. mean, professional help has been suggested for you yes. in many different areas. Since I was born. Yeah, pretty much. Because, mm. I mean, I've got, I've been diagnosed with uh, ADD and ADHD and a bunch of other things, and um, I'm convinced dad's got it. I mean, in spades. How else could you run so hard in so many different directions, career-wise? Like you went from, you went from uh, police to uh, work cover. Yep, you were a PI briefly. Private investigator. You were yep. a fiery yep. antique dealer, value yep. of fine arts, skydiving instructor. Ran a, ran Kinsella funeral homes. Oh yeah, there's a, he ran a funeral home. There's literally a six feet well, under I chapter. Was, uh... I think I was in the fire brigade. Yes, at the you time. were, you maniac. Okay, so okay, so let's oh, let's set aside for a second the fact that you clearly have a litany of mental health issues. But mm. how do you feel about that stuff? Like, have you sought help? Never. Okay, is that a pride thing, or do you honestly just don't think it's? No, I feel as I'm pretty good. I don't know, Dad. <laughs> I just I feel because one of the things that we we really discussed oh. during this book was um, it's it's <laughs> it has definitely affected you. I'm not saying you're saying that from a medical. What are your med- medical qualifications? I, mean, no, I have no medical Fuck. qualifications. But like, do you think 
okay, so um, my future father-in-law, Kevin, is reading the book right now, and he's just reached the chapter with the girl under the train. Now, I'm not going to spoil that for listeners because I know quite a few people are going to be reading it, um, but haven't got to that bit yet. But his his comment about the disturbing stuff was, I don't know how John is still walking around upright after the things he's seen. How do you think these things have affected your mental health? Well, look, Paul, it's very difficult doing a self-diagnosis. However, no, 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 me talking about myself. But you know, you know how you've got glass half full, glass half empty. Mm -hmm. I'm neither of those. My glass is continually overflowing. Okay, all right. I, as my mother says to me, John, you were born with a sunny disposition and a, and a good nature. And by golly, I, I am. And I don't, I don't dwell on terrible things. Because I think as a professional, yeah. you go in there and you do what you've got to do. However, we are going to talk about mental health situations, issues, things that I've been involved in. Yeah. In a, in a whole podcast, I believe. However, I would like to share with the listeners an anecdote, if I may. Oh, sure. About mental health. Okay. And I don't know whether this is clinically um, sort of... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not sure. Look, it's just a story that I'm going to share with you. Sure. That the listener can make out what they like of it. But... In in direct answer to the lovely lady Leah, yeah, Leah that wrote mm. in Leah. Um, back in the day, that if you demonstrated any weakness in terms of trauma, you were uh, pilloried and just pilloried. What does pilloried mean? You know, you were you were you were you were basically you were you were almost you were almost mocked. Um, and people didn't talk about it. You know, you'd go to a multiple fatality. I don't recall once ever anyone ever coming back and having a debrief. It was just, oh, you go to your next job okay. and then you go home. But I'll tell you what did happen in the police force. Serious abuse of alcohol. I mean, alcohol played a major part. But weirdly enough, I didn't really drink that much back then. Mm. Um. But look, I'm going to share with you a tiny little story, sure. and I, and this is this is how I look back on, and and this is an analogy that I've come up with. So imagine this: you have an empty glass, and you get an eyedropper, and every time you experience a traumatic event, mm-hmm. you put one drop of water into the glass. Now, in most people's lives, they will never, ever get anywhere near the top of the glass. Yeah. But in my situation, because I was involved in so many traumatic events, Mm. particularly when I went on to work in fingerprints and forensics, where I'd be going to... I basically lived at the morgue. I'm looking at Paul. You're you're smiling slightly. I don't know why. You'll find out. But um, (laughs) the thing is that a friend of mine, years later, after I'd left emergency services... He was helping me move some furniture. His name was Hank. Remember Hank? Yes, lovely guy. Lovely guy, an Mm. American guy, builder, amazing guy. And we had to get this particular item in the back of a truck that I'd hired. And he couldn't dismantle it. And he got the shits 
and I'm standing back and I'm watching him and he's really losing it with this piece of uh, metal. Yeah. And the metal, he bent this piece of steel and it came and it just he he it he sort of lost lost control of it and it came up and it hit him in the face. Right. And what it did, it hit his top lip. Oh god. And it opened up his lip. So I could see oh God, all his teeth, ah. and it looked as though he'd had a really, really bad hair lip. Oh God! And he was basically, and he was, and the blood, oh. as we all know, blood round the mouth. He was pissing out, and he reminded me of a walrus trying to talk, in that when he spoke, it made like a flapping oh, Jesus, sound. Dad, no, this is really important that I tell the story. Is it? Though? And. He was obviously in a very bad way. Now, I he could tell he was in a bad way by looking at my face because I'd seen a lot of bad shit in my life, but it was weird. Sure. This I found particularly horrific because you know that if something happens to someone, you, you're you know, a friend yeah. or family, yeah. it really affects you. I was going to ask, is it different? Is it different? Totally. Okay. Totally. Okay. So... I managed to get him in the seat of the uh, of the truck. Yeah. I knew that we had to get him to hospital really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. So I run round, hop in the driver's seat. We proceed down the road, and around about maybe 80, 90 meters that we'd driven, mm-hmm. and he's in the front, bloods just all over the shop. Yep. I went into shock. Oh shit. And I had no warning. And I'll tell you what, for listeners that have ever been in shock, you have no control over it. And it just, it sort of takes over your whole body. And I realized that I had two options. I'd either crash the truck, that's how bad it was, Uh or try and pull over. So I pull over, I get out of the the driver's seat Uh and I run around and I just, I lie on the footpath in a star shape. Don't ask me why it was a star shape. And um, Hank opens up the door and I'm lying on the grass looking at him and then as if as if that's not weird enough, he gets a phone call and he can't speak properly. Uh-huh. It sounded like you'd got a deflated balloon and held it in front of a fan and it was making a like a flopping sound but hear me out the the backstory which is incredibly surreal is that he installs fireplaces Mm. he was on top of a roof of some mansion in Balmain and he lost his footing and he started to slide down the roof and he used this incredibly amazing ancient tall chimney Mm. to stop his fall and in doing so, he pushed the entire chimney over and it crashed into the neighbor's house. So he destroyed this incredible Victorian, beautifully bespoke built chimney. He destroyed the neighbor's roof. Yeah. And he's sitting in the ute, uh, in the truck, mm. bleeding, needing really serious plastic surgery yeah. by a maxofacial surgeon. Sure. I just threw that in. Yep. And. I'm lying there in shock and he's apologizing to this lady on the phone. Right. Not saying to her I can't talk because my face has come open, right? It's And it was just that there was this incredible it was surreal. And then a friend of ours, Jim, who's a hard man, a Scottish plumber, he yeah. just happens to be driving up the road. He sees this truck parked and he somehow or other pulls over and he sees me lying in a star shape 
on the grass, totally ignores me. Yeah. I'm his mate. He gets Hank out of the truck and takes him to hospital. It took me 20 minutes to, to recover from the shock and be able to drive. Now, here's my analogy. Yeah. Finally. I believe that I kept putting drops into that cup until it was ready to overflow. It created surface tension, which is called a meniscus. Yes. I love that word. Mm. And then that, that final incident that you never ever know when that incident is going to come, that final act of seeing my friend's lip completely torn open almost right through his nose to reveal yes. all his teeth yes, yeah. even with his mouth yes, closed yes 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 and um and it just the water it broke the surface tension and and i i think my analogy is that all those years of, of built up events at some point that the tension has to be broken right so i don't know whether clinically or medically that that makes any sense, but that's how I've come to, uh, you know. And I also firmly believe that coffee is my Ritalin. <laughs> In no way, during that rambling tirade, did you answer Leah's question. <laughs> all you've done is illustrate that you're a psychopath. Um, that's all the time we have for this week's episode. One of the bits of feedback we had before we uh, slipped into this gorgeous studio um, was that... You know, we weren't doing long enough episodes, so I'm really glad that we were able to, you know, um, make these episodes longer. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Loose Units, the podcast. Um, make sure, if you haven't already, uh, run across to your local bookstore or head online and grab a copy of Loose Units. Dad, would you say it's a good book? I found it and still find it mm. enthralling. Okay. Anything else? Any other? I love it. Uh I love it so much that I actually went out and bought one and did my own dedication to myself in it. Yeah, it's, again, the mental health question is uh, is a real pressing thing. Uh, head across to Facebook, facebook.com forward slash loose units. Um, if you have any other questions or anything like that, head across to the page. In the meantime, please have a lie down in a star shape and we'll see you next week for more Loose Units. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.